On this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast, we are speaking with Johnny Waller, a former Kansas City gang member who lived a life of crime and violence. But now, after earning three degrees, he works to improve the community, pass local and state legislation, and create a unified force to reduce violence and enhance the quality of life in Kansas City. Waller gives a glimpse into the mentality of gang members, as well as environmental factors that contribute to crime in communities. So today we are here with Johnny. Waller. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Wonderful. So we're going to go ahead and get into your story a little bit and about the gang violence in the Northeast community. So let's start with a little bit about yourself. Listeners who might not know you or might not know your whole story, give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself and what you do today. My name's Johnny Waller. I've been working in the community now for about a decade. I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska. I grew up there probably when I was seven or eight years old. My dad, he used to sell drugs, then he started smoking crack. And then I think by the time I was 11, my mom ended up moving out and left me there. And then probably 13, uh, my dad kicked me out of the house. Like he was stealing some of my stuff. And we got an argument, he kicked me out of the house. So I was homeless for a while. I slept in like a park, a church, you know, church bench, whatever. Um, then I went to go live with my cousin, and he was a Santana block crib. So kind of that's where my gang life started. And from there, I just sold a lot of drugs, joined the gang, shot at some people. I ended up doing a shooting at the mall in Omaha, at the West Rose Mall. I got into it with some, some members of the Blood Gang, and they jumped us, and I pulled out a pistol, and I just shot up the whole mall and mm. tried to get away but I couldn't, so then I got caught. I had another gun, an Ithaca 37, so I went to jail for that. I got out. There was another incident where someone came, shot me in my head and on my front porch in front of my little brother, so life was real hectic at that mm-hmm. at that point. Uh, thought about killing myself. Uh, I used to play Russian roulette, which is a terrible, dangerous game, and then I ended up getting caught on the highway with a bunch of drugs, so... Mm-hmm. They ended up sending me to prison. I got two and a half to five years and an additional 18 months. So I ended up going to prison. Got kicked out. In this time, I never went to high school. I think the farthest I ever got was, the farthest grade I completed was the seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Like, I went to eighth grade, but I never went to school. And then you know, I got into it with the principal because I was selling drugs. And they just kicked me out of all the schools. So I had no education, just got sent to the penitentiary. When it was time for me to get parole, though, they were like, well you get in too much trouble, so you have to leave or stay in prison, finish your whole sentence. So I said, nah, I think I'll, think I'll move. And my mom ended up moving to Kansas City, so I ended up moving to Kansas City. And then I thought I'd change my life, but that didn't quite happen. I ended up being on 45th and Chestnut, and we sell drugs, uh, shoot at people. We had this feud with the people across the street. We will be shooting at each other from across the street. It was crazy. My life was just insane. One good thing, first I wanted to go back to prison, right, because I couldn't make it. You know, I tried to get a job. I couldn't get a job because people didn't want to hire people with felonies. I tried to go to school, but at that time they didn't give financial aid to to people with drug convictions, Mm -hmm. so couldn't go to school. I was staying with my mother. That wasn't working out because she was like, why don't you just find a job? I'm like, I can't. Like, you know, no one to hire. I applied for 175 jobs. Didn't get none. Oh not, my gosh. not one. 
I went and got a gun and started, you know, start selling. I was selling Oxycontin at the time. It was a lucrative thing. Then I was just like, I just want to go back to prison. Like, it's easier in prison. I, ain't, I don't have to worry about my mama on my back, parole officer on my back, you know, trying to do the right. It's, it's just easier in prison because out here, couldn't really make it. Mm-hmm. Luckily, though, it's a gas station on Bannister Road. They ended up giving me a job. They seen I was struggling. I used to go up there all the time. And they ended up giving me a job. I started working. I was like, oh, started getting a paycheck, you know, started calming down because I actually had a job and was able to do some things. Um, then I met a local businessman who, who said, hey, you can actually own a business. And I'm like, what? He explained to me how to start up a business. I did that. Uh, owned a cleaning company. I was actually doing really good. Left the streets alone. Quit selling drugs. I owned the company for about seven years, and then my son got cancer. Hmm. So I moved to Memphis so he can go to St. Jude Hospital. He battled cancer for about two years. He had high-risk neuro, stage four high-risk neuroblastoma. So... He ended up catching the cold and didn't have an immune system, so he passed away five days before his fourth birthday. So I buried him the day before his birthday, which was actually March, March the 9th was his his birthday. He passed away March the 4th, uh, which was a couple of days ago uh, his birthday was. Then I made a promise to him. I said, man, you know what? I'm done with games. I'm done with the streets. I'm done with everything. Go, Go to school and get an education and do all this. I'd never been to high school, so I woke up and said, hey, I'm going to go to Johnson County Community College. So I went to Johnson County Community College. Luckily, I passed the little test yeah. <laughs> to, to get in. And next thing you know, I, I, I was going to school, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I was, spent five consecutive semesters on the dean's list. That's awesome. I, yeah, I ended up graduating. I ended up graduating with a degree from there, and, and I graduated with honors, so they gave me a little plaque certificate. So I was like, you know what? Let me try, let me try this again. So I applied for every, pretty much every school in the in the metro area. Everybody gave me an academic scholarship, so I chose to go to Rockhurst University, and it was really weird because they had me waiting for like three hours to see if I could go to school there because I had the felony drug convictions. Mm-hmm. But then eventually somebody came out and was like, you know, you can come. All right, everything's sealed. Yep, so went there on academic scholarship, graduated, worked in between time, found some things to be passionate about. So I started helping to change legislation. So we changed the food stamp bill because as uh, someone with a drug conviction, you couldn't get any type of assistance, any food stamps or anything. So we worked six years on that one. I did both ban the boxes, mm-hmm. raise the age, and a couple of other legislative pieces in this meantime. And then I was like, well, I might as well go get my master's degree. Might as well, right? Yeah, might as well, might as well. <laughs> so uh, I woke I, I wrote to the school and said, hey, I want to come get my master's degree. And they were, not, they were like, oh, Johnny, you know, it's, it's fine. Like, you, you were a great student, this, that, and the other. So they waived the GMAT for me. Right, okay. so I, I started going to graduate school, and I graduated December the 17th with, I got one A minus, so I graduated with a 3.9 A GPA, and then recently um, they invited me to join the Honor Society for Business, so I just accepted the invite for there, so I graduated top of my class at Rockhurst, which was really, really pretty cool, and then I ended up getting a new job 
working at this Choose Your Passion, where I work at uh, right now, which is to reduce all violence and increase the quality of life in Kansas City. So that's pretty much my the short version of yeah. my life. Well, that's amazing, and congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that it. That's very incredible. So you're obviously, you made it out. You're one of the success stories. You have done so much with your life right now, but I kind of want to get back into the mentality of what it's like to be in a gang because this Northeast community is struggling so much with violence and so much with a lifestyle that a lot of us will never know, a lifestyle that a lot of us have never been in and don't really understand. So let's kind of go back and if you can explain a little bit of that mentality, kind of what it's like to be in that life. Yeah, so being in a gang is like, there's a couple of different things. So there's, there's being in a gang and what comes along with that and then it's like being in the streets period right mm-hmm. so there's the streets is the streets is some people call it the game so that's why people say the game is is what it is and then you have being in a game so it's kind of you have this larger platform and then you have these subsets of gangs and gang life is pretty much like for me it was my dad smoked crack my mama wasn't there so the people that took care of me and watched out for me and showed me love and did all of these were the people from my hood and that was it so you kind of built this relationship with them to where it's like if you took care of me then I'm gonna take care of you the problem with that is that taking care of somebody in that sense is like selling drugs and shooting at people and and being violent because really that's the only thing I got shot in the head a couple of days later my partner got shot in the head down the street at a daycare but he died so I lived he died that family they had two children my partner Derek and his brother Day Day they're both dead though they both got shot they're both she has no more kids it, it's over I've, I used to come home people were shot in the driveway like so and I can remember going to I went to I was in school with this guy named Matt and he had just came back from Iraq and we were talking to one of the professors because we because people don't know this I went on disability like I had a disability letter from school because I got shot and I'm supposed to take maintenance medication and do all that because the bullet fragments are still in my head and we both were on this disabled list so we were saying hey we needed more time for this test due to our condition and you know he was like, well, what happened and Matt was like you know I ran we ran over an IUD and were attacked and you know I got shrapnel and got shot and all of this stuff. And he was like, well, what happened to you, John? I like, I got shot in the head and all this stuff. You know, I got stabbed, this, that, and the other. And he's like, well, what unit were you in in Iraq? I said, no, nah, man, I was at home. This happened in my neighborhood. Like, I wasn't at war. And he looked so confused and shocked. But I'm like, listen, there's no hope, no resources. Some people got jobs, but they work in, like, two, three jobs to try to make ends meet. So that person doesn't have a parent. You stick, kind of stick together. Those kids stick together and with no guidance no supervision no nothing and being broke all the time like it causes trouble and then one guy in our neighborhood moved in this is really kind of what perpetuates it you living in this broke house you ain't got no hope there's violence all around somebody moves in the neighborhood they got a nice car nice clothes you struggling our phone got cut off so we didn't have a phone so i was using the neighbor's phone because he had the cordless phone this person moves in, they got all this stuff. He's like, how do you get it? I'll sell drugs. Oh, well, we broke. I'm hungry. Then you start selling drugs. So then you get caught up. You just get deeper and deeper 
and deeper. Then it gets depressing and people start shooting at you. And then if you really want to get out, like there's really no getting out. Like you just, you end up doing things that even sometimes you don't even want to do. Like I, like my friends came like, hey, let's go shoot at these dudes over here. And I was like, I really don't want to, but you know, okay. Because if you don't, your own hood going to attack you for not doing what you're supposed to do. So you kind of get stuck and caught up in, in this gang life. And honestly, had I not went to, probably had I not went to prison, probably would have been dead. Like, so if people think that it's weird, I'm like, nah, probably prison probably saved me in some respects because I'd probably be dead. I know more dead people than alive, yeah. right? And that's that's kind of like, that's what it is. It's, it's a war zone. And people don't understand that. They just look at him like oh what's wrong with them like what's wrong it's a war zone that's what's wrong if i drop you off in syria somewhere and then bring you back five years later pretty sure you're not going to be the same person and that's what goes on out here and people don't really understand that it's like it's bad you say you want to help but really how how much do you want to help the school system school system sucks like can't really find a job there's really no resources transportation is messed up really what do you expect people to do yeah that was going to be one of my questions was what kind of environmental factors contribute to kind of getting into that lifestyle so you wake up there's three abandoned houses on your block it's trash nobody cleans up you can call people they might come clean it up in a month they might come clean it up three months later right you try to get from point a to b if you don't have no car, you got to walk two blocks to catch the bus, and hopefully you make it, because if not, you're going to have to stand there and wait for the next bus to come. Everybody broke. People don't have hope. There ain't no, you get the jobs, what, you, they don't pay a living wage, so you, you need two or three jobs just just to make it. Like, if you woke up and you seen trash every day in abandoned houses and this, that, how would you, I mean, what do you, what do you expect? Like, people don't care. So if you feel like nobody cares about you, why in the hell would you care about somebody else? Mm-hmm. If you hopeless, you'll do anything. If you have nothing, you'll do anything, right? So if you have no assets and you live in garbage and, and dilapidated housing, and it, I don't, I don't. To me, it's like, what do you think's gonna happen? Right. Like that's what happens. Yeah. So. It is what it is. Yeah. So ultimately, you got arrested. Is that what you would say maybe got you out of the lifestyle that you were in? No. Okay. What What would you contribute to, to you getting out of that lifestyle? For me, it was. One day, I, I sat around and, and analyzed my life and what I was doing, and I seen that there was no way forward. Like, the things that I was doing, it's like this. So, we in the hood, we want stuff. Like, we want a nice house, car, we want to pop bottles, do all of these things. And then other people may want to do that, too. Like, everybody wants a nice house and a nice car. But, see, the only thing we know how to do is sell drugs and rob and do all of this stuff. And then other people are like, I'm going to get a job and get my credit up and I'm going to leverage these assets and do all these other things to get it. Like, I never learned that, right? So, I had to really examine like well if i keep doing this i already got shot in the head and i've been to prison right i have two felonies three strikes and you're out and if i get shot in the head again i probably will not live i don't even know how i lived the first time but probably ain't gonna live a second time so i probably should do something different and once i got that first job it was a little bit easier 
to map out to see an actual future that mm-hmm. didn't involve selling weed or pills or crack or whatever. It's like hey, maybe I could work, and then if I work, maybe I could go to school, and if I can go to school, maybe I can get a good job. And if I could get a good job, maybe I can do some of the things that other people do without having to worry about. I didn't have a driver's license for a long time, you know, so I kept. I've probably been arrested 33 times. I've been on trial five times mm-hmm. in two different states, and I've been convicted once. So I've probably faced like 200 years, and I was like, I can't. You just can't keep doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people do. I just couldn't. I, I just, mm-hmm. I just was like, this isn't. This doesn't get me anywhere. So I quit. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And people don't like it. Even me saying this stuff to you, people will get mad that I'm saying it because you're giving up. You're not supposed to talk about the game to other people and what happens on the streets. But it's like we have to stop at some point. Yeah. Something, something has to change. We can't keep killing each other. Right. So what would you say? Do you usually work with people that are still in gangs now with your current job? Or what do you Well. I mean, some of my friends do what they do, right? And I try to tell them. And like my cousin just got shot. He's been in the game for a long time, and he does what he does. Like I, I can try to provide guidance and advice, tell you to get out, this, that, and the other. But you don't do what you do. And once you've been doing something for so long, it becomes hard to do something else, right? Mm-hmm. If you've been in the game for 10, 15, 20 years, that's all you know. Mm-hmm. You never had a job, never went to school. And it's so funny, I went to Rockhurst my first semester, and they're like, oh, write this thing about your mentor. And I'm like, who? Like, my sheet blank. Everybody else got a mentor that raised their hand and how this person has changed. I'm like, that don't happen. I don't even know what that is. I, I did not know what a mentor was until I went to Rockhurst, and they said, oh, it's a person who does this, that, and that. Like, I ain't never had that. Yeah. Like, what people don't know is the thing, they take things for granted. Like, you got that cousin, uncle, parent, this, that, or other, who takes you under the wing, stops you from doing something, gives you good advice. Well, I ain't never seen that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know who that is. We don't have those things. So it's hard to come in now and tell people, like, hey, you should change your life. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things becomes, like, why? Like, why? Because do I have to go through do all the things that you did, Johnny? Because that's a lie. Some people can't read. Some people don't want to go to school for four years. Some people have other problems and disabilities and post-traumatic stress disorder and all kinds of stuff. So what, are, what happens to those people? What do they do? What am I supposed to tell them? And then when you try to, what happens is, Someone will come in and try to help, and they'll help for six, eight months or a year, and then maybe the grant runs. I don't know what happens. And then they leave anyway. So what, I mean, why would people change? It's like, what, you're going to get arrested? We all know that. You cannot arrest your way out of the problem. You mm-hmm. cannot design legislation to say, I'll give you 100 years for selling drugs because my partner's going to be like, so what? So what? Lock us up. We're we going to get locked up anyway. Or you're going to die. I know. We're we born to die. And that's the thing we use on us to be born to die. We 80s crack babies. We born to die. So it is what it is. So unless the culture as a whole starts changing, doing these type of things, man, they, they, they don't work. That's why these pro, you, people sneak billions of dollars into these programs. And what happens? There's increased there's escalating violence still. You have to see why is that? Because what you're doing don't work. You're not addressing the root causes of these problems. 
for me is I could tell my partner something, but all he's going to do is say, if I do all this, what's really going to change? They're going to fix the school system? Am I, I get a better job? Is this going to happen? Is that? Is the police going to stop pulling us out the car, making us sit on the curb to search the car because they think we got drugs and we ain't even got drugs or approaching us in a hostile manner with a hand on their gun? No. Mm. So change for what? Yeah. And that's the question. So, I mean, there's just, it seems to be so many working pieces and so many underlying root causes is there anything that maybe the community would be able to do like we had that meeting of all these organizations and kcpd and social workers and just different people coming together that want to try to figure it out what would you say would maybe work or maybe help the community to address that issue there's a few things that from my experience because again I have the experience of, yeah, I went to I went to Rockhurst. I have three degrees. I own a business. I did all that. I used to shoot people. I, I held a dude down, put a gun into his head, and spent it. Made him play Russian roulette till he crawled out my house crying. So I've been on both sides, mm-hmm. right? And the thing that I'm, there's three things that, A, the very first thing people really need to do, stop working in silos, right? So you we had that meeting that we were at. Most of the time, people do not want to work together. People say, oh, they're going to steal my funding or they're going to copy my program or they're going to do this or they're going to do that. And it's like, we all got one common goal. If your common goal is to reduce violence, just because you do it one way and that other person does it a different way or someone does something similar, that don't mean they want to steal from them. That don't mean nothing. Work together to achieve that one common goal. Mm-hmm. And if that's personally, if it's something that they, like, I like blue cars you like black cars am i supposed to not talk to you because you like black cars like that doesn't make sense to me so until there's a unified front in kansas city then things are going to continue because you can't tell people like hey i want to get the community united when the people who are supposed to be the community leaders aren't united themselves like that doesn't even make sense secondly if you really wanted to reduce crime overall tackle three things right one is help single mothers with children or grandparents raising children. They need help, but there's nowhere for them to call. There's no so if, so if you have a kid and your kid is getting into the life or doing something illegal and you can't deal with the situation, who are you supposed to call? The police? No. Like, you going to get your own kid locked up? No. But who else can you call? Nobody. There's nobody to call. But that that kid who's starting off that way, that is your next shooter. That's your next robber. That's your next person to, to commit assault. That's them. So unless you can tackle that situation, you're going to get the same result. Then it's ca- tackling the kids themselves. There's all these influences out there, right? But when you look at it overall, most kids use social media, do all of these things. You look and it's world star hip-hop, it's violence, it's this, that, and the other. You don't see one positive. Who's pushing positive messages? Who's trying to change this culture? Who's actually going to the kids, teaching them conflict resolution? Because it took me, I was 30 years old before I learned to to agree to disagree. Why is that? Why, Why do I have to be that old to learn to say, hey, you know what? We can peaceably disagree. You can have your opinion, I can have my opinion, and we can walk away. We don't have those skills, like, and that's that's something. That's why people say, "Well, we don't know what all the shootings are." I could tell you if I got beef with you and I feel you disrespected me, then I'm gonna handle it 
in a violent manner because that's the way I know to respond. That's the way that's become acceptable is to respond in a violent manner. Now, as long as people allow that to be acceptable, then, of course, it's going to continue, mm-hmm. right? And the third thing people could tackle, ex-offenders. The recidivism rate in, in Missouri is like 66%. It's, it's, it's mad high. Within the first three years, ex-offenders commit a certain portion of, of the crimes, right? Now, if you had resources, gave them opportunities, because like I just said, I applied for 175 jobs. Even when I had money, I tried to move to different apartment complex. They wouldn't even take me. Yeah. They're like, nah, you sell drugs. So, so in the end, somebody's going to go back to doing what they know how to do because you're telling somebody like, hey, you did your time, you know, you've been rehabilitated, come out and be a productive citizen, but they can't. So really, you, to me, it's like you, you must really want people to go back to prison because you're not making, making a way for them to be successful, period. So if they, if in the first three years, this percentage commits this portion of crimes, if you help them out and say reduced it to 40%, that means 10% of all crime in Kansas City would be reduced across the board. But nobody's going to do that. There's this stigma about felons and you can't change and this, that, and the other. And you watch the news and somebody do something wrong, what's the first thing that they say? Oh, they had a criminal record, they had been to prison. But people like me, because there's people more successful than me, like I never went to high school. I just graduated. Our Rockhurst program is ranked like 13th in the country. I graduated top of the class. Won't be no, there's no news about that. No one's going to say, oh, look, ex-offenders can make it. Here's a success story. No, it's, it's, it's more lucrative. It, it fits into the culture just to say, like, hey, they're all the same. They'll never change. It fits into the narrative that people spin. And what they're really, they'll say that we're tough on crime for, for, for public safety, but you're actually, if you give someone no opportunity, you're actually making the public unsafe. If you take somebody and don't give them an opportunity, then how in the what do you expect them to do, right? And so if you tackle those three things, you will reduce you reduce violence, crime. You'll reduce everything. And so people know this. People from the streets, some of our partners, we all know this. So we think like, do you really want to stop crime or? Do you just want to say you stopping crime, or do you just want to get some grant money or money, some kind of money to, to have a program that doesn't work so you can keep getting paid? We don't really know, but like, if you really want to stop crime, tackle them three things. You'll see a crime reduction. Were you ever, whenever you were in a gang, were you ever like offered any resources or approached by anybody with resources? Or um, I know Gina English got up and spoke about you can offer these opportunities to people, you can offer these resources, but if they don't want them, they're not going to take them. So I'm wondering if you ever had someone reach out to you. Personally, no. Okay. And this is sad. The only person who reached out to me, the only people who reached out to me was the Ku Klux Klan. They wrote me a thank you letter for killing my own people. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that is terrible. Yeah, that's the only pe- that's the only people who For this community, for the Northeast community, what would you say to them as far as reaching out to people? You mean for offering help? Yeah. Be uh be persistent, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So being on the streets and being in the game is a hard thing. And if that's all you know and that's all you ever see, you get comfortable with it. Even if it causes your detriment, if someone is persistent, pursuing you to change your life, it can help. Like so, because one of the things is we will pursue something for a short time and then move on to the next person. And this even goes not only to them, to the police too, and all these other agencies out there. Some of them have image problems. People don't trust you, this, that, and the other. You never sit down and take time to build no relationship with somebody. It's more or less like, hey, we should help such and such over there. And then you try a couple of times. It's like, ah, you know what? They're not receptive, so I'm going to move on to that person. And, and, yeah, they're not receptive. They've been on the streets. If you've been on the streets for five years and somebody tried to help you for five minutes, like, come on now. Why, why would you even accept the help? Why would you even trust that person? Why would you think that they have your best interest at heart? And once you do that so many times, people know that you're going to do that. Like, man, they're going to offer help for five minutes, and they're going to move on to the next person. So, so, And then if you offering help, what help is that? One of the problems is, okay, you want me to get out the game. Cool. You want me to stop being a game member. Cool. Then what? Because, see, if I get out the hood, I'm going to have some issues. And then where do I go? Where do I stay? Where do I work? How do I get money? And if I'm real deep, I might have to move to another state. Who's going to pay for that? Mm. Who's going to help me? Who's going to be there? Who can I call? And no, if you can't answer those questions, then people are going to be like, no, I'm cool. I'm going to stay where I'm at. Like, there's no point. Be persistent. Offer the resources you know you can offer. Don't promise somebody something when you can't deliver. That's pretty much what I tell people. Like, yeah. if you if you really want to help, I hosted a teen night. I played movies and barbecue and had conflict resolution. And one of the kids was like, well, why are you even doing this? And I said, because I came to the library. And I said, y'all need to, I mean, I want y'all to have something to do and let people know that you care about them. And they're like, oh, you're just going to do this one time? Nah, bro, I'm going to be here. So now I'm going to schedule all the way out till August on Wednesday every month. You'll see me. Mm-hmm. Because if I do what everybody else do, come in, do something, and bounce out, I'm just like everybody else. And then trust you for what? Do something different for what? You can't even show me. You can't even stay committed. So why should I commit to doing something different? Yeah. It is what it is. I think the Northeast community definitely understands that there's this problem, but I feel like there's just different tactics in attacking it or trying to find the root cause or trying to find even funding to help these different organizations. But I do appreciate your time and I appreciate you talking to us about kind of your story and, you know, the deep issues of this just violence in general. Is there anything else that you want to add that we didn't talk about that you think is relevant? No, I just want people to remember when you see people on the streets and whether they game or hustle, do it, what they're doing when they're people too. And what people don't realize is somewhere along the line that that person was traumatized. They're out traumatizing other people because they've never dealt with that trauma. In many cases, somebody told me one day that, hey, you were a victim. And I'm like, well, why am I a victim? they like, look how you grew up. Your dad smoked crack. The first time you ever sold drugs, you know who told me to sell drugs? My daddy. That's who taught me how to sell drugs, my father. He's like, you were traumatized at an early age, and you went out and traumatized people. And I was like, damn, I never looked at it. So people, some of the worst people has some of the worst 
atrocities committed mm-hmm. towards them. So just remember, we are people, right? Yeah. And some of us really need help. So instead of shunning us or turning your back on us or, or not talking to us or, oh, they're just going to kill each other off, what would you do if that was your son, your daughter, your cousin, your brother? Would you try to help them? People need help. So I just remember we're people too. And that was Johnny Waller. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. I'm Elizabeth Orozco.